0: Hey, good morning, everyone. I am Ryan Wolt, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 3 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. This is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. This is our second interview of the season, but it is the very first time we're leaving the state of California to interview a guest. Well, not literally. I'm still producing the show from the closet. But our guest this week is Carrie Elliott, she is the founder and head roaster of Elliot Murray Coffee Roasters, located in Hillsboro, Oregon. I'm going to preemptively apologize for my pronunciation of Oregon. Jillian, if you are listening, I know you've told me I say it incorrectly, but I just don't hear it. My bad. Hillsboro is a suburb of Portland, and Portland has a thriving coffee scene. I reached out to Carrie not knowing that she also hosts a podcast about coffee which I've since started listening to called Drop Temp. Check that out wherever you are listening to this podcast. But please still listen to this show. I appreciate you. Two notes before I fill my mug with a cup of French-pressed Nifty Fifty, which is the signature blend of our newest industry partner, Ignite Coffee Company. One, this interview was recorded in mid-January. I can no longer see ships lined up on the horizon off the coast of San Diego County. However, I have been seeing a ton, an absolute ton, of migrating gray whales, more than I've ever seen in recent memory. They've been coming by in pods so close to shore that you can easily see their spouts and even their backs and tails as they pass by. If you are along the coast, head out to the shore with a pair of binoculars as soon as you can. Two, you can just kind of hear the sound of coffee bags being filled in the background of this show. I love that sound two and a half, make sure your coffee cup is full too. It is time for this interview with Carrie Elliott, founder and head roaster at Elliott Murray Coffee Roasters.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. I've been, uh, all my wholesale clients decided to order all their coffee at once, so I've been running around like man, woman, roasting, packaging, labeling, and trying to get that all situated. So, thanks for your. Do we need
0: tape. to reschedule? Do you need this afternoon?
1: Nope, nope, I'm good. I-, I got it all taken care of, so I can make way for the time for both you and I to sit down and chat.
0: Wonderful. Well, I appreciate uh, that you took the time, and we are recording. So, uh, if you wouldn't mind for the tape, if you could just kind of state your name, your business, job title, and your favorite movie of all time?
1: Uh, so my name is Carrie Elliott. I am the owner and head roaster of Elliott and Murray Coffee Roasters, a favorite movie of all time. I will have to say Tommy Boy is one of my favorite movies of all time.
0: Good choice. Have you watched it recently, though?
1: I have not watched it recently. But as a kid, my mom would let us watch it as many times as I want. So my brothers and I would just watch it nonstop. Um, and it's such a great movie. Tommy Boy and oh, uh, what was the other movie? David Spade and uh, what's his name was on? Uh, Black Sheep. Black Sheep. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So we we watched. I, I went back and forth with Black Sheep and Tommy Boy. But I think Tommy Boy is the top one.
0: That's really interesting that that is like your favorite movie from being a kid. And it's about a small business, smallish, that is going through hard times. And, and Chris Farley has got to come figure out how to how to come together. feels very prescient for the time that we're in right now.
1: You know, it actually does. Now that you're touching base on it, it totally makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it is such a crazy time with the pandemic, uh, with supply chain and everything. As a matter of fact, uh, I just I have a podcast called Drop Temp Coffee Podcast, and we recorded an episode yesterday where we were just talking about supply chain and we were talking about traceability and supporting the farmers Uh, we had a great conversation with my uh, my friend jen Hurd, along with my co-host and one of my great friends tim howard of blind coffee roasters so yeah we were actually touching base on that a little bit
0: well we'll encourage people and i'll link to that show for anyone who's listening so they can go listen to that show but is that that's actually something that hasn't come up on this show yet before because This is only the second interview of this season that I'm doing. Uh, So I apologize if I'm rusty to you and to everyone listening. But has, has the supply chain issues that we're seeing on the news, I mean, I'm in Southern California and I can look out for a short walk from my house is the beach and I can look out and see literal ships just sitting out there. Has supply chain issues that we're seeing affected your ability to trace your product back? Or are you buying so far ahead because with coffee you're always kind of you're buying lots or you're looking forward, but has it impacted your ability to be confident of where your coffee's coming from?
1: Yes and no. Um, So there are certain coffees where uh, I have not been able to source from where I normally source is because you find that there's a lot of political issues that are happening. You're also dealing with COVID that's impacting the ports and labor shortage as well. You need the people to load and unload the containers we're not only in long beach and los angeles but we're also seeing the backup happening in the seattle port so west coast has been really really backed up all the way from seattle all the way down to uh, long beach uh, as far as that uh, we've been really fortunate to work with various green coffee suppliers uh, to be able to contract these coffees out are they coming in right away during their normal time? No, but it's getting pushed out about a month or two. And a lot of the struggles I've been hearing from the green coffee importer, again, I just learned about this yesterday talking with Jen Hurd, is there is auction styles where people are bidding for positions on the containers. There is a lack of containers for this coffee to be stored. And so there's just a ripple effect that's happening with from farm to the ports and to us as the roasters there's so much happening with that so to get back to the original question that you were saying in a way I am but in the way I'm not because I'm fortunate that I'm able to get most of the coffees uh, that I offer to my customers to be able to provide that to them which I'm really fortunate about and so I'm still having coffees in stock. Am, am I able to provide a pink bourbon micro lot from Columbia? Not quite. I have to wait a little bit on that. Again, it's a yes or no answer from my perspective.
0: Sure. Before we get too far into the weeds with a bunch of coffee stuff, I want to learn more about you. You have this coffee company, Elliot Murray Coffee now, and I want to get into that. But I want to know about you. Where where were you before what were you doing before this what made you think about coffee as something that was not only interesting but you wanted to pursue as a career (laughs) well those are like 12 questions at once i'm sorry (laughs) carrie i'm just i'm rusty i'm getting into it with you we'll figure it out
1: i'm actually originally from the southern california area i was born and raised in torrance california i grew up in a mormon household Uh, my family's mormon but what was interesting is out on my mother's side of the family, they were all Mormon, but my father's side of the family were not Mormons. So when I first learned about coffee, it was basically going over to grandma's house, my dad's grandmother, and she would have a cup of coffee. And for some reason, the aroma of coffee really intrigued me, but it was kind of a taboo because for those who don't know in the the Mormon religion, they're not allowed to uh, drink coffee or have any tea. Um, any stimulants basically and so it was it was kind of it was kind of like a confliction uh, growing up because I saw one part of my family doing stuff that I was told as a child that we're not supposed to do in the religious culture and eventually it got to a point where I was 18 I was getting rebellious I barely passed high school because I hated school and I wanted to do my own thing. Um, I'm kind of a, how can I say it? Like I, I'm a wild child. I, I like to do things on the fly. And uh, over the years, I kind of have pulled myself back into it, uh, and one of the first jobs that I got when I was 18 was working at Starbucks. And then, of course, it's, it's a common theme of a lot of people in the specialty coffee industry. They somehow got their start when it came to Starbucks, which is ultimately true because I never heard about coffee from Colombia, Guatemala, Indonesia, Sulawesi. I never knew about these coffees until I was doing the coffee passport program with Starbucks and learning about these coffees. And once I completed my passport, I got a little pin I put on my apron and I, I thought I was the coolest kid on the block. So I've, I've always been interested in coffee and I've always wanted to do something with the coffee industry. And I thought, Well, the only way to get in the coffee industry was owning a coffee shop, which to me, that was not something I felt like I could achieve as a person. So I worked at various positions. I worked at Costco for a couple of years, FedEx for 10 years, and years down the road, I actually learned about roasting coffee on the coffee podcast. As a matter of fact, I was listening to an episode where they were talking about um, home roasting green coffee in a popcorn machine. I thought it was like the most insane thing I've ever heard, but it also piqued my curiosity. I thought to myself, hmm, this is pretty cool. So you're saying that I could buy green coffee beans online, I roast my beans at home, and I can make myself an awesome cup of coffee and save money at their grocery store. I thought it was a great concept. So I went online, I founded uh, Sweet Maria's, I bought a pound of No, I'm sorry. Actually, I went into downtown Portland uh, to Mr. Green Beans, which is owned by Trevin Miller. And he has a storefront where home roasters like myself or people who are curious about coffee can buy raw green coffee beans on the shelf. He was a really great tool and asset with my roasting journey. And he told me some tidbits on how to roast the coffee at home and what to do. And I took it was actually a bag of Papua New Guinea coffee that I brought home and I roasted it up and I was completely blown away about how well this cup of coffee was that I roasted at home on a $6 popcorn machine that I found at a Goodwill. It was so amazing. And at that point it changed my perspective of coffee and how I can create basically a craft an art, By roasting this coffee, making it this delicious. Uh, So that's kind of sums up where I started my roasting journey and um, how I kind of went into that.
0: Sure. You grew up in Torrance. When your parents got together, did your father convert to Mormonism or was there always that duality in the household between the two uh, sides of the family?
1: From my understanding of it, um, I do remember this for a couple of years, he did not like join the Mormon religion right away. Um, it took him a couple of years before he actually converted to um, the Mormon Church. Uh, I think it was basically my parents wanted to make sure we had some sort of stability in the household and being able to uh, learn and adapt to the different values uh, that were taught through the Mormon Church. and. In some perspective, I'm kind of grateful for the different values that I have because I still apply for my daily life. There are certain things I don't agree with, but, you know, it it was definitely interesting growing up in that kind of like dueling culture where I'm growing up in this part of religion and then this part of religion or this part of the family is non-denominational, really.
0: Sure. And mixed kind of some mixed messaging, as you mentioned, like one side is saying coffee or stimulants are bad. And the other side is that's just a normal part of, of their life to some extent. I, I grew up, um, I was very religious growing up, not because my parents put that on me, but because they put me into like Sunday school and things. And I just really took to it, but they were both united, you know, in that, in that front. And Even though as an adult, I don't consider myself religious, I do feel that I learned a lot of good, valuable lessons about how to treat people at a young age. It was only later when I started getting into the politics of religion that, you know, I I started moving in a different direction. You mentioned that you got your, your, those first beans in Portland. So you're up in Oregon now. What, what inspired the move from California to Oregon as an adult? And where do we stand on the whole pumping your own gas situation since you're a transplant?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, my husband and I moved to the Portland area six years ago. Interesting story about that. I have interesting stories. (laughs) So I was nine months pregnant when my husband and I came to Portland. And before I found out that I was actually pregnant, my husband and I visited Seattle. We fell in love with the Pacific Northwest. And between then and during my pregnancy with my son my husband was doing a lot of researching on whether we should move to Washington or we should move to Oregon. Uh, at that time it was based upon who had the best beer selection or best <laughs> uh, breweries per capita. Was it Oregon? Was it Washington? My husband's a huge uh, beer guy. We used to actually make, uh, we used to homebrew uh, when we were living in California and uh, we have done it since we moved up here. And as a matter of fact, I was, Talking to my husband about that uh, because we would do an all grain uh, brew, and that took a long, long time to do an all grain brew versus where you can get a kit to Mm -hmm. brew coffee, which cuts down the amount of time. So, we were actually talking about that the other night, which is so funny. My husband, uh, we settled into Oregon and uh, we moved to an area that we don't know. We don't have any family, we don't have any friends. We're just Google mapping everything. We're doing a lot of Google reviews on places, and we're trying to figure out what would be the best situation. When we first moved into our apartment, we moved near the closest hospital we could find, which was St. Vincent's Providence Hospital in Portland, and where we were living was basically a three-minute drive from our apartment to the house. So in case I my water broke, we could just go up the road and boom, we had our kid. (laughs) Um, So yeah, uh, so we settled in uh, at when I was nine months and once we got settled in two weeks later, that's when uh, we had our son Ethan. And ever since then, we've been up here, we eventually moved into a house. Uh, We live right next to Nike World Headquarters. That blew my mind because I didn't know Nike had a World Headquarters literally down the road from where we were. So that was pretty cool. And I told my friends about it, the, my friends in California. I'm like, hey, I live near Nike World Headquarters. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Whatever.
0: <laughs> you still haven't answered my question about the gas pumping because ah. your son is never going to know what he's going to grow up thinking that people pump your gas for you.
1: Yes. Okay. So as a Southern California person, right, I do get my fix of pumping my own gas when I go to Washington. There's pros and cons for someone to pump your gas here in Oregon. If you're running late to work or to an appointment and you're at the gas station, you can't pump your gas. You got to wait for the attendant to come over. So if you come to a gas station, that's really busy. There's a lot of cars. uh, You're going to wait a cool minute for that attendant to come by and pump your gas. But when it's snowing and when it's raining outside, it's actually pretty convenient. You just turn off your car and hand the person money or a card and, tell them how much you you want and it's really convenient so it depends on the it it really depends on the individual but those are i would say the pros and cons but also the biggest pro i find with having gas attendants at the pumps is that oregon's thinking about people and thinking about jobs and so it's keeping people employed which is a great plus
0: so you are You are in Oregon. You're in Portland. Your shop is in Hillsboro, which is I'm assuming a suburb of Portland. I didn't Google it.
1: It is. Yeah.
0: What was the tipping point once you were there where you decided you were going to pursue going back to this idea of coffee, leaving some of these other careers that you've been in and start your own business?
1: so the entrepreneurial spirit for me was actually stemmed through my dad's side of the family they owned a bowling and billiard manufacturing called murray and sons my great grandfather and my grandfather back in the 1930s actually founded the company so they manufactured billiard tables and pool tables they ended up being really really successful and as a matter of fact the billiard tables that my family produced were in the movie called The Color of Money with Paul Newman and Tom Cruise.
0: Which is a great movie, and everyone should watch that movie.
1: It is a great movie. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to make anybody feel old, but that movie came out when I was born, in 1986. So if you do the math there, you can figure out how old I am. But my grandfather had the opportunity to meet Martin Scorsese, Paul Newman, Tom Cruise. And of course, I, I grew up watching it because my mother would play the movie, or my dad would play the movie, and every time that the championship eight-ball series classic, uh, that tournament scene, opened, there's a huge logo that says Murray on it, and it's always pointed out to us, look, that's our family pool tables. Look at that. <laughs> so that that is uh, that was a really great accomplishment with my grandfather being able to make that deal. Also, prizes for the prices Right. So if you looked at a couple of episodes back in the like late '80s and early '90s, they were actually prizes that you find at the Showcase Showdown Murray pool tables with the big old Murray name right on the side of it.
0: So you had examples of entrepreneurs. For, I did, for sure.
1: I did. Uh, it was it was success, absolutely. It was seeing the success and seeing what my family built because the warehouse that they were in was. I wanted to say it was huge. I want to say it was probably like a 4,000, 5,000 square foot warehouse, which is near like border of Los Angeles and Gardena area, very industrial area there. And, you know, just seeing my grandfather doing the work that he did and just seeing the success that I really wanted to kind of follow in the footsteps of, the entrepreneurial spirit that my grandfather carried on, eventually the business uh, was sold off. Uh, they sold off their billiard division and their uh, bowling division eventually. And my, all my uncles and my father retired, uh, liquidated the business and everything. And so unfortunately, it was the end of a legacy that we had. So for me, I felt that I wanted to continue on the Murray name along with the Elliot name, because I wanted to also uh, carry on my husband's family name as well. And I wanted to continue in a way where it was something that really represented me. And I felt that coffee roasting really represented myself. And that's the reason why I named Elliot Murray what it is because I I represent family, I represent community. And I, I, I joke with people. I say, people come in and they say, who's Elliot and who's Murray? And I tell them I'm both. And they kind of look puzzled. I'm like, well, think of it this way of Victoria's Secrets. Victoria's Secrets is actually founded by a man. So it's kind of that illusion. And I've had people say, oh, it sounds like a law firm. I'm like, yeah, I can I can see that. You know, Elliot and Murray attorneys at law. <laughs> but uh, it's great. You know, it, it's just uh, just tying into family and, and tying to what it represents. And it represents me and where I come from. That's what it stands with Elliot and Murray.
0: There is something uh, unique about having a business where you're carrying on a family name, you know, in a different way than having a child, but similar in in the sense that it's it's keeping that family's name out there in the world. It's continuing to be said. It's continuing to be shared in some way. And that's something that I'm, I'm fairly attuned to just because I'm one of three boys and we're the kind of the last boys of our family that have our family's last name which is Wolt. And so if one of us doesn't have kids to continue that that line on that name will kind of end with us. And that's always been like a something I've been very aware of, especially since I've chosen not to have kids. Now, I have two younger brothers and I just assumed one of them would jump on board, but so far <laughs> we're all kind of moving down this path and so having a business where you can continue your family name is another way of leaving a mark that people can look down on. You're you're talking about your grandfather, in his business, and we're two generations past that. And your son will likely know about that business and the Murray name, and then he'll have his own Elliot and Murray name to carry on as well, which is really unique. You mentioned law firm, which makes me wonder about kind of the vibe of Elliot Murray. I'm down here in the South, and we are in COVID, so I haven't been up to Oregon in a while what is kind of the the vibe of of the shop or of your roastery your business and then how do you infuse kind of that family mission into what you're doing
1: that is a great question for the vibe in the shop we want to be inclusive um like i was touching base about community elliot mer represents family it also represents community we want to create a safe space for everybody to come in the door it doesn't matter what your sexuality is doesn't matter what your religion is it doesn't matter where you come from uh, we wanted to create a space that is safe for everybody and to educate and help people brew a better cup of coffee we love and embrace everybody that comes in and we really cherish the different backgrounds and the different uniqueness that everybody brings when they come into the door so elliot and murray we there is actually, we co-share the space with two other roasters. We have Capital Press, a coffee company, which is owned by my friend uh, Noreen Sullivan Lanfear. And then we also have Line Coffee Roasters, which is owned by my friend Tim Howard, along with his wife, Holly Howard. And we co-share the space and we roast here. The energy that we bring is just to sharing our passion with coffee, all three of us are very passionate about coffee and when we ever we have somebody who comes in and is curious about how can i brew a better cup of coffee we will talk to them to two for two hours and like show them exactly a step-by-step process on how to brew that coffee and the, the vibe i would say if you come into the shop you will see that i have a no doubt poster i also have a sublime poster i also have like a poster from girls who grind which is based out of the uk that's a bad bitches drink good coffee there was one point where i was very hesitant about hanging that up but then i thought to myself the feminine side of me is going to represent and i'm just going to hang it up and i will not apologize uh because sometimes i feel like a bad bitch drinking good coffee uh it it's honestly true uh so (laughs) when you come into the shop, like there's a sense of comfort and welcome. And we just love nerding out about coffee, telling you where the coffee was made and telling you about the farmers and how you could take your French press and make it the best cup of coffee you can make it.
0: If you wouldn't have told me earlier that you were born in 86, I might've guessed it from those posters. (laughs) <laughs> so is there a cafe space there in where people come and hang out or is it a roastery space that people can come and get a coffee from
1: uh it's more of a roastery space where people can come in and grab a cup of coffee but what's really awesome about the space we have we actually have windows that are cut out so people can look into our roastery and they can see people roasting on the machines uh, as a matter of fact we have a 12 kilogram probat roaster it's from 1988 her name is alice and it's owned by our dear friend noreen quick backstory on that is noreen's husband steve uh, founded capital press coffee a couple years ago he used to roast for uh, portland roasting company and uh, cafe darte years ago he started up the company uh, along with his daughter and his son and then a few years go by and uh, Steve uh, ultimately passed away from cancer and Noreen went ahead and took on Capital press coffee and continued on with that, with his legacy. So the machine that they have was originally acquired by Steve. Her name is uh, Alice. She's an amazing roaster. She roasts really, really amazing coffee and uh, she's a little beat up on the outside, but she's just as beautiful and amazing in the inside by crafting the coffee the way that we want to craft it but we also have uh, a 20 kilogram primo roaster and a primo roasting company is actually based out of santa ana california uh, it's owned by uh, brandon miller and tim uh, just acquired it the 20 kilogram machine himself and it's powder coated green with his logo and everything he's super excited to get that installed and fired up it's gonna double the volume than what old girl Alice can do, but it is really going to help with our increasing volume. So pretty excited about that. We're just waiting on a couple of things. We're going to get the roaster installed and have fun with it.
0: Very cool. And it's a beautiful story about carrying on uh, your friend's husband, Steve's legacy. And, and there's something interesting where we name our machines. I do the same thing. I mean it imbues a life of its own because you're creating something with it. It doesn't feel like it would be right that it could do that without some sort of embodiment of soul, so to speak.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: I did see that you have a crowdfunding campaign and which makes me wonder about this conversation right now. It, what's on deck for you guys? Uh, do you have a cafe space separate from this space you're in now, you know, in the works or what's the plan? Where do you, where are you guys going?
1: So, our roastery and roastery slash cafe we're in a 1200 square foot unit in a business park so we're in an industrial area the great thing is we could roast coffee on site what the challenges we have faced is number one is location because we are in a business park we are away from a high traffic area uh, so we don't get visibility with foot traffic or with people driving by i mean we have a sign out in our business park that says Ellie and murray coffee roasters but a lot of people who come in don't even realize we have a coffee shop when people walk in they're just like they come in and they see this little quirky uh retail space and this i call it the speakeasy coffee shop in the business park because it's so hidden people don't know <laughs> but people walk in and they're like oh my gosh i could see your roasters and and you serve coffee here I'm like yeah we absolutely do And as a business owner who's been trying to survive through the pandemic, we have faced our challenges. Starting a business, there's a lot of investment when it goes into starting up any kind of business whatsoever. And unfortunately, you know, getting funding from the SEA has been um, challenging. And what I would love to do is I wanna be able to create not only a space of inclusion and community, the same vibe that we apply here at the roastery, but I want to create a space to educate, to understand and to learn about coffee from sustainability to roasting to brewing, anything and everything that has to do with coffee. And unfortunately, that the space that we're in right now, because it's so small, we're not able to accomplish that mission, that goal that we have at Elliott and Murray to really take that on. And the goal is to get a location that's outside of the business park. So we be able to have not only a bigger space, but we can eventually down the road, host classes where we can do a coffee cupping. We can bring in our friends that are working with green coffee importers and talk about sustainability, Um, talking about the different farms. Uh, We would love to do home roasting classes. We would love to do like a roasting theory class. We would love to host space for community members if they need to do fundraising for an event or creating like events for like women-owned businesses or BIPOC business owners themselves to give them a platform to bring brand awareness of, their companies, their businesses. And that's what the goal and the vision of Elliot and Murray is, is again, going back to family, going back to community, education. And that's really what we're trying to aim for this crowdfunding campaign.
0: We haven't talked a lot yet about coffee. So I want to make sure that I don't forget that um, as I'm going. So I'm going to kind of transition a little bit to that and ask you kind of about your philosophy about roasting coffee. I think of Where I'm at, uh, far Southern California, our coffee scene has kind of a style of coffee that is very popular down here, whether it's medium light roasts, kind of very juicy. You mentioned Ethiopian coffees earlier. I think of Portland as being kind of a hotbed of coffee community and a place, another place in the country, maybe even more so, that has a long coffee history uh, where your customers are fairly educated on coffee locally. And I'm wondering what your philosophy has been and what you've kind of learned as you've been growing in this company uh, in regards to sourcing and roasting coffee.
1: When I first started, I, I kind of was snobbish about my coffee. Um, I had that mindset of everybody should drink specialty coffee because it is the best coffee in the world.
0: I'm smiling right now for anyone who is not in this closet with me, because I think we all have that moment when we get really into something, whether it's coffee or beer or food. Yes, we have this like, oh, well, you're not drink your or music. You're not listening to this artist.
1: Yes, you you get a You get a cockiness, uh, a a you blow up your ego a little bit and you have to understand and learn people's behaviors and understand them as a person. Not everybody is going to enjoy a, uh, a natural Ethiopia grade two coffee that's going to taste like snozberries because, you know, or blueberries, snozberries whatever. People are not into that. They're so used to brewing uh, like Folgers coffee. They want something that tastes like what they say is coffee is coffee. And you have to understand and respect that not everybody's going to be into specialty coffee. What's really amazing about Oregon is that a lot of people love to support local business. It doesn't matter what industry that you're in. They love to support local and which I have found fascinating because that is not anything that you find in Southern California in the South Bay uh, because there's so many like national brands that are around. There's not really so much local businesses like there is in Oregon, which I really found intriguing, which is really cool. And I really appreciated that more as a business owner. But coming back is I, I I would get upset because I would have customers come in and be like, do you have coffee that tastes like Starbucks? And I'm like, honey, I'm not Howard Schultz. Like there's no Pike place here. Like you need to, you need to go to Starbucks for that. Um, (laughs) you know, but at the same, I, I mean, I didn't say that, but I was thinking that, and I would get upset about it. But, um, At the same time, I have to, you know, people want to support a local business. What it really boils down to, they're not actually comparing your coffee to Pike's Place versus your coffee tasting exactly like it. That's not exactly what they're looking for. What they're looking for is something that is close to it or maybe something that they would just enjoy just as much as that Pike Place roast. So my job as a roaster, as a business owner, is asking questions. When people walk in, they're just like, hey, I've never heard of Elliot and Murray. I saw that you guys had a 4.9 review on Google. I had to come in and see what you have in stock. My first question is, what are you drinking right now and what roast do you prefer? And people say, well, I prefer dark roast. I prefer medium roast. I say, great. Do you like something that has more nuts, more fruits? And you kind of just ask questions. Uh, sometimes people will say well I'm looking for something with a mild or low acidity or whatever so you're asking those questions and as a job as a roaster is to say well here's what I have and you mentioned this note or that note you're looking for something with that mild acidity or low acidity this is a great natural Brazilian coffee it is a really great coffee very neutral low in acidity and it's going to be enjoyable for everybody so I would suggest that or if somebody's suggesting again uh, Ethiopia that tastes like snozzberries if I have it in stock i would be like great you get a really nice high you know uh, blueberry acidity with this Ethiopia and it tastes like snozzberries and people would enjoy that too so it's a matter of me as a roaster to ask questions and to guide them and to educate them in understanding uh, what goes in the coffee and what goes in the roasting process if it gets to that point. For me, I look at roasting as a craft. I look at myself as an artist and I tell people that you can give five roasters a micro lot from El Salvador and say, here, take this micro lot and I want you guys to roast it five of those roasters are going to have their own different interpretations of how that roast should be represented. So some roasters will take it and they'll do a light roast or some roasters will take it to a medium to dark or as they call it, American roast uh, to really have more of a caramelized sugar taste to it. You never know. Uh, Everybody is totally different. And I think that's really what's great and different and especially with the west coast in general there is a lot of people who like medium light roast but what's interesting here being in the suburbs of Portland I'm actually finding a lot of people like a medium to dark roast as compared to light roast my medium and dark actually sells a lot quicker than my light roast coffees Uh, once in a while I will have those light roast coffee people come in but for the most part that's what I've been finding with my customer base so it really depends on what neighborhood you're in. Um, if you were in downtown Portland or near that Portland metro area, yeah, you would find more people who are more into the medium light roast because of majority of those roasters in that market, that is what they're offering.
0: I think what I'm hearing from all of this, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is just both in the way people are treated when they come in and in the coffees you're roasting is finding a sort of accessibility both for you creating a product that you feel are comfortable and are proud of. And also the customers are comfortable saying, yeah, this is, this, I can identify with this. It may not be exactly the same as what I was drinking, but I'm supporting a local business. It's in my wheelhouse. And now that person is going to start growing with you in their coffee journey. I do find that it's hard once people have really good coffee, it's harder to go backwards.
1: You know what it it has happened people who've been uh buying coffee from the grocery store or um yeah mostly the grocery store they will come into elliott murray and they come back and say i'm a fan i'm a fan for you for life i will come in here and always buy my coffee is it more expensive than grocery store yes but i know that i'm paying for the quality and what i'm paying for is not only to support you your business, but again, that artistry of a craft and you're making that coffee so delicious. So that has happened quite a bit. And and like you said, the accessibility, that's exactly, you nailed it on the head and that's what we strive here at Elliott & Murray.
0: So you also have your own podcast, which we mentioned earlier, called Drop Temp. I believe you kind of started it late in 2021. Yes. What is the show about and kind of what inspired you to start it?
1: <laughs> so Drop Temp is a coffee collective, a coffee coffee co-op that my friend um, Tim and myself wanted to start. Along with our friend Noreen, we talked about the idea of having roasters in our shop and renting it out to other roasters in the area at an hourly rate. We have coffee roasting co-op facilities out here in southeast portland so you have buckman coffee factory you also have aspect collective and then i believe it's counter Counterculture, culture which is another a newer coffee co-op facility which is on the east side of portland there since we're on the west side the wet you know the west side of portland in the suburbs here there's nothing like that in the market and what we wanted to do is create one of the first coffee co-op Collectives here on the west side being able to rent out our 20 kilogram roaster uh, along with the 12 kilogram roaster to those who are starting out their coffee roasting journey or uh, coffee journey in general, uh, whether it's a home roaster getting curious and wanted to work on roasting on a commercial machine, to someone who is just starting out their coffee roasting company. Again, we wanted to create a space that had be inclusive and open and be able to create a space that is safe to come in, to roast, to hone your craft when it comes to roasting, be able to access the tools that needed to succeed. Because we believe that the success of other coffee roasters is our success because Myself, Tim, and Noreen, we look at ourselves from our coffee experience. Now, Tim probably has the most experience out of Noreen and myself. Tim has about over 10 years of experience within the coffee industry, where Noreen probably has about four or five years, and I'm coming around three years in my roasting career. So you have like three different points of views and different stages of their roasting business careers, where we can only give information to these roasters and educate them, help them understand the market and what that roaster is able to do with it. They could take that and craft it to make their own coffee roasting business. I know that was kind of a long winded answer. I do apologize for that. (laughs) The idea of drop temp to the podcast was a way for us to market, to share our knowledge and share our love and passion when it comes to coffee Five years ago, I was kind of tinkering around. I had a podcast show called Carry On The Podcast where I recorded at home and I went on Audacity and I edited all my podcasts. But then I got started with the roasting journey and that Carry On The Podcast eventually phased out. I really loved the fact that I was doing editing on the podcast and really talking I'm really good at that. Sometimes I'm not very good with my words, but I love interacting with people. And (laughs) funny story. I actually went to Musicians Institute in Hollywood uh, for audio engineering, and I went there for a semester, but I learned quite a bit as far as learning how to edit my own podcast. So with the tools that I learned from that, and I'm still able to apply to podcast editing and work in a podcast, I eventually asked him, I said, Hey, Tim, you want to start a podcast? And he was all over it. He was so excited about it. So uh, we're very, both of us are very, very passionate with coffee. We're great friends. We joke around a lot with each other. I consider Tim as one of my good friends. And we agree on a lot of things. We see things in the same perspective. And and sometimes we disagree on some things. and, And, you know, most of the time we agree on stuff. But Doing this podcast has been really amazing for him and myself being able to sit down and have a conversation without any distractions. We record our podcast off site at Office Evolution, which is located as well in Hillsboro. It's a a one of those co-op working places where we can they have a podcast studio so we can walk in, they have microphones, they have the mixing board ready to go, and we just go into. We go in there, we record the podcast, and we just sit and have a conversation. And Office Evolution is actually one of my wholesale clients, so they serve coffee to their clients. So it's kind of nice to go in the studio and have a mug of my Woe Dude Espresso Blend while we're doing a uh, podcast episode. But we definitely have fun for it, and this is something that we are been really excited about. So, uh, so far, it's been an amazing ride. Awesome.
0: Uh, well, I'm excited to listen to it. It looks like there's like six or seven episodes already out. So we'll be sure to share that as well. I want to make sure that I give you a chance to tell us anything that we didn't cover today that you think listeners should know about Elliot Murray Coffee, about your coffee journey and, and what you're doing.
1: Well, with Elliot and Murray, I, I just want to say that each of my blends that I, that I roast and I do is an extension of myself. Uh, So I have four signature blends. I have the Dude Espresso blend, which is my inner Southern California self uh, because I call everybody a dude. I also have the T Town Dark Roast blend, which is another nickname I would call Torrance. And that is another dark roast blend. So that represents my hometown. Uh, We also have the Cedar Mill blend which is a medium roast. That was the first neighborhood that we officially moved into when we moved into Portland. And so that's a representation of a milestone we made. And finally we have Yukon's Gold, which has my beautiful pit bull dog Yukon that's on the front of the label. So all the coffees are representing not only myself but it also representing my craft and my passion into what I believe can make a really great cup of coffee. And I would love helping people, whether it's from learning how to make a really great pour over on a Chemex to um, just being an ally within the community. Anything I can do to help somebody, or Murray is is there. And so uh, I to close this up, if anyone's interested in the campaign for helping us create our second location as a full cafe concept i'll provide the link for you but the project is going on to i Fund women which is a women-owned uh crowdfunding website that we use to help uh support women-owned businesses like myself so we have that currently going up there and um also check out drop temp coffee podcast uh we would love for people to check it out, uh, rate our show, give us a review, let us know how great we're doing or how crappy we're doing. But either way, any, any feedback we get from the show would be amazing. And I just wanted to say, Ryan, thank you so much for having me on your show. And to be able to share all this with you and sharing the message of Elliot and Murray.
0: I think you just did a much better job of like asking people to rate and review than I have done in 3 seasons of the show. <laughs> I just I feel so like awkward about it. You know, it really does help when people do rate and review your shows, but uh so thank you for that. I I'm not going to let you go before I ask you the last question, which I ask every single guest, which is when you're out and about, you're grabbing a cup of coffee, not at your shop, you're just say on the road between Oregon and Southern California. What type of coffee or what do you order for yourself what what jumps out at you from the menu
1: you know it depends on my mood on the road it depends i i don't drink cow's milk really uh, so i'm a m- oat milk girl or almond milk girl some days i feel like cortado i also like a really nice nitro cold brew i really do enjoy that and americano um so drip coffee americano cold brew and a cortado those I know it's not exactly one, but if I had to pick one out of all of them, I would say cold brew to be honest, just a straight up black cold brew.
0: I hear that a lot from coffee roasters and i I'm not sh- I haven't like figured out why that is yet, but I'll be I did have a a very talented uh coffee roaster here tell me that if he could give his coffee to somebody else the one that he would choose would be the cold brew because he felt that he could make it the most exact to what he wanted it to taste like. And it was less about that. It was cold or hot or whatever. It was that it was the best reflection that he could create consistently. And I thought that was a really interesting concept.
1: You know, I, I understand that. I absolutely do. Absolutely. And I don't know, just cold brew is just easy drinking and it's just something to enjoy. Uh, So that I, I totally agree with that.
0: I'm always a fan of anything that comes in a can, whether it's a seltzer water or a cold brew or uh, a good beer. Did you and your husband ever? Uh, did you decide that uh, Oregon is better than Washington in beer because we should start this feud with uh, some sort of roaster up in Washington?
1: I I feel like there there's more happening in the beers uh, the the beer brewing scene in Oregon than it is in Washington. I know a lot of people or are, are going to come at me. Uh, But I feel like Portland recently in the the past couple of years have really exploded as far as the craft uh, brewing scene and the specialty coffee scene. I haven't seen or heard much coming out of Washington, really. I I think they're they're, uh, losing some traction there. So Washington needs to step up their game.
0: All right. Well, you heard it here. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Carrie. Um, I'm looking forward to the next time it's easy enough to wander up to Oregon and uh, stopping into the shop.
1: Absolutely. The new shop, hopefully. Yeah, come on into to our shop or any of the other shops. Uh, it's an amazing, Portland is an amazing place to be.
0: I always make sure to stop in Portland uh, so I can get the whole bowl, which is my favorite food car.
1: Oh, yes, I've heard of that.
0: If I'm within uh, 300 miles, I'm gonna go to the whole bowl.
1: That's my, my <laughs> policy. Right on.
0: First things first. Tommy Boy is a pretty great movie. It gave us classic Chris Farley moments like this one. Is this your coat? (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) That guy in a little coat. That guy in a little coat. Don't. (laughs) That guy in a little coat. Bad guy in little gold. Take it off, dickhead. I'm serious.
1: Richard, what's happening?
0: I haven't watched the movie recently, so I can't promise it holds up. But in addition to being a buddy comedy, it is a movie about entrepreneurial risk. A pretty interesting favorite movie for Carrie, considering she was surrounded by entrepreneurs as a kid and now is one. Carrie also mentioned that she grew up in a partially Mormon household. According to churchofjesuschrist.org, Mormons believe they are divinely counseled not to drink coffee based on revelations received by the church prophet Joseph Smith in 1833. According to their doctrine, hot drinks were listed as one of the harmful substances and not for the body or the belly. Church leaders have since explained hot drinks means both coffee and tea, except, for some reason, herbal teas. They also clarified that coffee drinks that go by different names are also to be avoided. Quote, Drinks with names that include cafe, mocha, latte, espresso, or anything ending in Chino are coffee and are against the word of wisdom. End quote. It was really interesting to me that Carrie had such dueling influences in her life growing up And it made me examine what conflicting lessons I've taken with me from my time growing up and how I've chosen to incorporate them into my life as an adult. All of these thoughts seem to come full circle to the concept of legacy and the continuation of that legacy. Through her son, through her roasting, through the name on the sign at her business, even through her podcast, Carrie is creating a legacy that represents the impact she has made. Coffee is fun, isn't it? I'll close out with two more thoughts. First, Business owners can learn from their customers and, in many cases, need to learn from them to succeed. Carrie mentioned that there was a moment, and we have all had this moment, where she really wanted to convince everyone to drink the most craft, most special, most coffee nerd coffees. But not everyone is at that point in their coffee journey. And she listened and adapted. There is room for the coffee connoisseur and the general coffee appreciator and the person who just drinks whatever is in the cabinet in the morning. My goal on this show is to narrow the gaps between those coffee drinkers, encourage awareness surrounding the craft of coffee, and uplift the coffee community while doing so. My second point is more of a quibble. I would argue with Carrie that there is a whole lot of shop-local, shop-small, craft coffee support in Southern California. I see it every day. And we share the stories of those working hard to grow the coffee community along the West Coast and in SoCal on this show. I won't speak specifically for the community of Torrance, But I will say that the exponential growth of this industry and the appreciation for coffee is incredible. Coffee deserts can turn into coffee hotbeds in a matter of months. So, Carrie, I ask you, give SoCal another chance. I'm looking forward to getting up to Portland sometime in 2022 to check out Elliott Murray coffee roasters and to see what coffee awesomeness has occurred there since my last pre pandemic visit. Speaking of growth, that coffee I poured for myself at the top of the show. The Nifty 50 blend from Ignite Coffee Roasters has been really lovely. Ignite is a new roaster in North County, San Diego, and the founder, Tyler Whitehead, will be on this show later this season. I'll ask him about this coffee, which is named after his favorite camera lens. Mine too, actually. I have a few 50mm Canon lenses here at the house, and they are what I grab when I want to get back to my photography roots. I'm excited to learn more about Tyler's coffee journey, and glad to have his company on board as an industry partner head to ignitecoffeecompany.com to order a bag of your own. Since you'll be online anyway, you might as well check out the rest of this show's industry partners, including Café La Moster Coffee Company, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Zoombar Coffee and Tea, Leap Coffee, Marea Coffee, Camp Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, First Light Whiskey, and Cape Horn Coffee Importers. I always link to the roast industry partners in this show's podcast notes, but if you can't find them there, You can also click into any article on RoastWestCoast.com, and they'll be there at the bottom. I'll be at Camp Coffee Company in a few weekends, Omicron permitting. Mark your calendars for Saturday morning, February 19th, 9 to noon. Come visit, say hello, and let me know why you love coffee. Thank you to everyone who has signed up recently for a paid subscription to this show. Shout out to Jeff Taylor. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Those subscriptions help improve both the quality of the content and increase the amount of time I get to spend working on this show where I get to share coffee stories and help you get coffee smarter. Subscribe to the paid or free version of the newsletter on roastwestcoast.com and follow the show on Instagram at roastwestcoast and send your coffee questions there. Did I say thank you yet? Doesn't matter, I'm saying it again. Thank you for subscribing and for listening. A new Coffee Smarter episode with Chris O'Brien, all about developing coffee flavors during the roasting process, is out now. Check that out. And I'll be back next week with an interview with Jeremy Hicks. He is the founder of Goose Bear Coffee, right in my own backyard of Carlsbad, California. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. And please, always tip your baristas, now more than ever, and be sure to drink good coffee.